good evening. Good to see everybody. And uh, this nice, dreary Wednesday evening. It's a nice Wednesday to stay home. <laughs> it's a good morning to stay home, too. Man, that is so dreary out. Just a few. Uh, it's great to see everybody. I said that already. Mary, good to see you. Our family's Josephine coming back there, too. Uh, good to see McKenna. And then good to see Andre. Andre Sotelo, did, uh, did Veronica and the kids make it okay to Washington? Let me say that. <laughs> That's good. I was, I was just thinking about that. Uh, one, one mom, three masks <laughs> at airports the whole nine yards. I'm glad they... <laughs> Everything. <laughs> oh wow! Crazy times. Now my uh, then Carolyn Matthews, she had gallbladder surgery yesterday, and uh, everything went fine. She's she's home. She can't drive for forty eight hours, and so uh, James was able to take her to and from the hospital. James, her son. She said she's doing okay. She's got to have. She said she's supposed to keep food on her stomach, but she doesn't feel like eating because nothing tastes good. And uh, she said so. Started eating, nothing doesn't taste what tastes very good. But Carolyn's doing great. Uh, my dad had his uh, kidney stone surgery, and uh, everything went fine. I talked to my mom. I didn't realize this is how it was going to go, but my my dad had his kidney stone surgery at eight o'clock, uh, seven o'clock. Eastern time, right? So I texted him about 5.30 our time and told him I was praying for him and loved him. And then, so he had surgery, got there at uh, whatever time, had the surgery, got out, got home, got his medicine. My mom left two hours later to go to Arizona. <laughs> I thought she was leaving the next day, but uh, I guess she thought he was uh, going to be in good enough shape. She said he's just laying around the house. And uh, he called me on Sunday uh, he put a thing on Facebook on Sunday because he had to stay home. He had to quarantine three days before his surgery, unless he contracted COVID before his surgery. But his uh, kidney stone surgery went fine. They were able to break up the stone. And uh, it was a uh, 12, 12 millimeter size stone was the size stone in his kidney. And uh, they broke it up, and he said he's feeling a lot better. So my dad's thing went well. Thank you for praying for my dad. And then... Uh, the last time we emailed out the Baptist Watchman, uh, somehow or another, I got synced up with this guy named Sergei uh, Mokolov. He's a Baptist pastor in Siberia, and uh, he sent me a long email uh, this week and said that they were um, just asking to pray for him with the, with the shutdowns over there and coronavirus worries and uh, dealing with regulations and their, their outreach ministry in their area trying to get some new churches established. He asked us to pray for them. So pray for uh, Sergei Mokolov in Siberia, and he's a Russian pastor. And then we got a letter from Brother Jeff Bluest. He's our missionary over in the Philippines. And uh, they were in, they've been in Metro Manila. Now, Metro Manila is several million people, very, very large, and uh, very, very modern. All the modern conveniences are there. All the regular food restaurants, shopping, it's a very kind of upper class area. 
Uh, they don't really have a middle class in the Philippines, but that's where he's been the last seven years. Had a pretty good sized church going. They've turned it over to a national pastor. And now he and his wife, Perla, who is a Filipina, they moved way far away out into a country area in the mountains. And he said things are really, really different, much slower out there. And they've been facing a lot of opposition from uh, churches in the area don't, that don't preach the gospel. I guess in their, their, this new area, the United Pentecostal Church has a lot of, uh, a lot of power. It's, one, it's, a larger, it's the larger church in the area. And they teach that a person is saved by faith in Christ, water baptism, and speaking in tongues is the proof that they're really saved. And, they've been, and they don't believe in eternal security either. So uh, they've been evangelizing, and they've had several people from that church who've left that church and joined his church, and the local pastor is really mad at them about it. And so they've been having some conflicts over there. And they said, but from there, uh, life is a lot slower, and they're able to do more with the people. And uh, they're trying to use that new, new church they're starting as a springboard to start other churches in the county uh, around them. Now, that's all I got to say to you about those things. Any new requests this evening? Mary? Did you say Kenneth Rowan? Kenneth Rowan. All right, Church of Kenneth. My brother, my brother uh, called me. He told me the church he used to pastor in Missouri, his, the guy who led the music in the church up there, the song leader, uh, his daughter called him this week and said that her dad has, his name is Doug Eller, he has stage four kidney cancer, and it's uh, up into his lungs, into the wall of his stomach. He just His whole lower region is ate up with it. And uh, 52 years old, and so they asked for prayer. And that's the Eller, Eller family. Any other requests, Andre? What's your sister, your sister and brother, sister? Constantine and Christina. In Kyrgyzstan, that's what you said? Kyrgyzstan. Oh, wow. Those are Andre's sister. That's big time transition there from you folks out there. Any others? No? Well, let's have a short prayer together, and then uh, we'll sing a song, and then we'll look at Ephesians chapter 3. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to be together tonight. We pray that you would bless us, Lord, that you would uh, hear our prayers, 
and we would uh, speak to our hearts through the scriptures. We thank you for this chance to be together. Thank you for the rain we've had today. We pray that you give us some more. We just give thanks to you for all you've done for us in Christ's precious name. Amen. All right, so let's take our hymnals and let's sing number 13, I Must Tell Jesus, number 13. And we'll sing, um, we'll just sing one, two, and three. I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. I must tell Jesus. All right, here we go. I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. In my distress, he kindly will help me. He ever loves and cares for his own. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, Jesus can help me, Jesus alone. I must tell Jesus all of my troubles. He is a kind, compassionate friend. If I but ask him, he will deliver. Make of my troubles quickly and end. I must tell Jesus, I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, Jesus can help me, Jesus alone. Tempted and tried, I need a great Savior, one who can help my burdens to bear. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, He all my cares and sorrows will share. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, Jesus can help me, Jesus alone. All right, take your copy of God's Word and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. We only fill the water cup once a week on Sunday, and I drink what's left over on Wednesdays. <laughs> and it's kind of neat how the water changes color <laughs> from Sunday to Sunday to Wednesday. I don't know if that's just the lot in water or if it's just the, the special spice. 
up in the air. One time in Arkansas, I was uh, getting a drink of water. I had this teenage kid in the back of the church, and and his name was Zachary. I said, Zachary, you give me some water? And he's sure. And he, he came back from the kitchen, you know, and I thought he was making a funny face when he's walking back. And uh, he walked up there and put that cup on the pulpit, you know, and I said, thank you, Zachary. And he went back and sat down. And I, I looked at that water, and I could swore it was bubbling. And what he'd done, he went back there and filled it full of Sprite. <laughs> and he was waiting for me to take a drink. And he's like, oh, you know, and uh, I took a drink. And I knew the minute I tipped the glass up, I could smell the Sprite. And so I didn't let on <laughs> that, it was, that it shocked me. But, man, it did shock me. I was like, oh, man, Sprite. I was expecting cool water and got Sprite. Okay, Ephesians chapter number 3. If you have a Schofield Reference Bible, you might find this heading from verses 13 to 21. Prayer for apprehension. A prayer for apprehension. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, not Corinth, but at Ephesus, and he's writing from prison. He's locked up. This is one of the prison epistles. And Paul has been telling them what they are in Christ. He's talking about the believer's position in Christ, that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, that we are united to Christ. He's our head. We are his body. And if our head is safe, we are safe. And all the benefits that the head enjoy, they trickle down to the body. And we, we have spiritual flourishing because of Christ. And Paul's been telling them this. He's been saying that Jews and Gentiles are no longer two separate people. They've been brought together in Christ. There's one people of God. They share in one body, and they are compacted together. They're fitly framed into this one entity called the church. And now, in verses 13 to 21, Paul talks about everybody's favorite subject, faintings and tribulations. Let's, let's take a reading, and then we'll look at this passage. Verse 13. Well, let's, let's start at verse 11. I'm looking for a period. Let's just get verse 11. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore I desire that ye think not at my, excuse me, at my tribulations, for you, which is for your glory. This cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Paul begins in verse 13 with talking about trials and tribulations. Wherefore, I desire ye faint not at my tribulations. Now, Paul is, he's in trouble. He's having tough times. He's facing difficulties. He's in prison. And he wants these people to whom he's writing to understand that what he's going through is a part of God's plan. It's a part of God's purpose. 
Paul is going through tough times, hard times, times he wishes he wasn't going through. But he says, this is a part of this is all part of God's purpose. My friends, your difficulties and my difficulties, your disappointments, my disappointments, our gains, our losses, they're all a part of God's plan, his purpose for our lives. These difficulties have been brought into our lives by the Lord's providence, by the Lord's will. And we have to live through them. You say, well, I don't really care for that. Me neither. (laughs) Nobody likes hard times. Nobody likes difficulties. But we have to recognize that it's God's, it's God's purpose. Now, look, look, look how verse 11, 12, and 13 go together. It's God's purpose, verse 11, in whom we have boldness in Christ. Wherefore, therefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you. Don't faint at the tribulations. He wants them to be strengthened and to be able to make it through. The person may say, well, tough times are... I don't, I don't care for them. How can I know that tough times are, you know, what's the purpose of tough times? Romans 8, 28 says that all these things are a part of God's purpose for those who love him. Let's turn there and look at it. We're all familiar with it, but let's, let's look at 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. And, and Paul says, we know this. Now, my friends, look back ac- across the last year in our lives. In every area of our lives, and you know what you're going to find? Hard times, tribulations, times when you want to faint. And if you have those in the past, we know they're going to be in the future because things they Ecclesiastes this morning, I read chapter 1. The thing which hath been shall be again. And that which is shall not be, but it, it talks about the cycle of it all. So, my friends, we have to rest in the f- purpose that these, in the fact that this is God's purpose and it's for our good. Paul says, and we know that all things work together for good. So, what I, okay, I'm trying to live, I'm trying to, I'm trying to acknowledge that. I'm trying to live with that reality. I'm trying to turn the switch in my mind. But how exactly can hard times benefit us? What is there for me to gain in hard times? Take your Bible, turn to James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Listen to what Paul says here. Not Paul, (laughs) James. This is James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials or diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying or testing of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. That in difficult times, it causes us to develop something called patience. We all want patience, and when do we want it? Right now. <laughs> patience is cheerful endurance. My friends, we are called upon most of the time in our Christian life to wait. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. You got things you're praying for? You got things you're, you're wanting to see happen in your life? You're trusting the Lord? We're waiting. You know, I hope you're all waiting on Jesus to return. He is coming, and we're waiting on it. Are you, are you ready for Jesus to come? You know that old uh, Southern Gospel song? I'm looking for Jesus to come any day or any night. 
I'm looking for Jesus to come at daylight. I mean, we want Jesus to come, but we're waiting on it. And what's the old slogan about waiting? Good things come where? To those who wait. So we're waiting on the Lord. We're learning patience. We're going through trials. Trials teaches patience. You know, we asked Andre how, the, how it was for the kids going on the plane. They had to wear a mask the whole way. Put your mask on for every single bite. Oh, what a, what a, what a nuisance. What a trial. What, a, what an annoyance. What, what, what do we learn from that? <laughs> Be patient. To endure cheerfully what's going on. That's the definition of patience. Hard times create in us something that wasn't there before. Hard times also. Look at Genesis chapter 50. Verses 15 to 21. We won't read all of that, just, just, just so you know where it's at. This is where Joseph, who had been betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery. And after a sequence of events, his brothers have come back to live in Egypt, and he's taking care of them. He's watching out for them. And now the dad has died. Jacob has died. And the brothers are worried that Jacob's going to take, that Joseph is going to take vengeance. Now dad's not here to get him to give us mercy. Now Joseph has got all the power. He's going to get even. And Joseph says here in verse uh, verse 18, and his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph had learned from going through his own difficulties that his difficulties were for the benefit of other people. Other people. There are people in this room tonight who I know you've had difficulties in your life. Difficulties that I have not yet faced, but definitely are in my future. And you have been faithful to the Lord. You've tried to serve God through all these difficulties. You've tried to keep just, just soldiering on, putting one foot in front of the other. And your tenacity, your faithfulness has been an inspiration to me. But you can't be an inspiration to me unless you've had hard times. God is working. God is putting us through difficulties, takes us through hard times because he means to use it for good. Now, in Joseph's life, his difficulties resulted in the, in the lives of hundreds, ultimately thousands, and maybe millions of people living who would have never lived. God used Joseph's difficulties for the good of Joseph and for others. And there it is in, in God's word. And has it been a blessing to you? Of course it has. Now look at Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. Various these trials, Paul says, don't faint at my tribulations. I don't want you to faint. These tribulations are part of our life, though. This is Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. This is that great reading about justification by faith, but here's what it says in Romans 5, 3 to 5. Paul says, we rejoice, in verse 2, and not only so, but we 
We glory. We revel in tribulations. How can we? And tribulation just means pressure. It means problems. It means troubles. It means bad times. How can we glory in these bad times? Because it works patience. And patience works experience. Now, now what does this mean? Experience. Experience. I'll illustrate it this way. When I was a teenager, I got a job at Walmart. I started working there in August of 1994. And then, uh, you know, what happens after, uh, well, August, then what happens in December? What big holiday takes place in December? Christmas, right? And right around Christmas time, Walmart would always hire holiday help. It's just temporary. And I, re and I remember when they said, oh, the temporary people are going to get laid off next week because Christmas was over. I was so afraid, Mary, I was going to get laid off. Because I thought, I'm just temporary help. I'm just temporary help. And I asked this lady, her name was Jojo. Uh, no, her name was BJ. And I <laughs> no, her name was Susie. <laughs> Her name was BJ. BJ Nall was her name, N-O-L-L. -L. I said, BJ, Bonnie Joe was her real name, but everybody called her BJ. See, aren't you guys glad you came, came here that talk? So uh, I asked BJ, I said, do you think I'm going to get laid off? She said, nah. She said, you got hired way before the temporary people. And I said, are you sure? She said, trust me. I've been around here a long time. She'd been here about 15 years. She had experience. She had experience that I didn't have. And then, you know, the next year that came around Christmas time, I had experience. I could speak from experience. And this is what we're reading here. Paul says that tribulations, they work patience in us. And when we exercise patience, we gain experience because we, we learn that God keeps his word. God comes through. There is a purpose. We're gaining experience. That's why, you know, people tell testimonies of how God has helped them or blessed them or, or did, done something special in their life. Experience. Experience. And this experience, knowing what God has done, gives us hope about the future, about what God will do. Has God answered a prayer for you in the past? Okay. Are you asking God to do some kind of prayer work for you now? You're asking God to do something for you now? Yes. Well, if he's answered prayers for you in the past, in your current situation, you can look forward to the future with hope, knowing that God has answered prayers and that God will answer prayers. You see how it works? Patience, experience, hope. In verse 5, and hope maketh not ashamed. When you have your confidence in God, you'll not be ashamed. You won't reach the end of your life and be ashamed that you put your trust in God. But you will be if you don't put your trust in God. You will be. So, difficulties, tribulations. Paul says, I don't want you to faint at my tribulations, which are taking place for you. <laughs> for you. Paul doesn't want them to fall out. When he says here, Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is praying for them because he wants them to make it. He wants them to succeed. John Gill says here that every Christian minister wants the people to whom he preaches to persevere or to make it through. He wants to see them persevere in the faith. 
to keep on believing the gospel, to keep on walking with God, to keep on making it forward. That's what a, the, every Christian minister, his desire for the people is that they'll keep on with the Lord, right? Now, every person, every person who feeds the Lord's sheep, that's what they want. Pastors, uh, I want to say I say all of them, the good ones, the ones who care about people, want to see them grow in the Lord and prosper as they're, and do well in the Lord's, in their life with the Lord. So Paul, Paul wants them to make it. He's asking that they'll make it. Now let's look thirdly at how does Paul act. What does he do? What kind of action does he take? It's in verses 14 and 15. He prays for them. Notice those words. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bow the knees. It's a good picture. This is a posture that's taken. And postures are, are very important because postures send a message. Have you ever seen somebody and they and they're walking around and they're kind of stuck up? You can tell by the way they carry themselves, their posture, you know. When I was a there's this this preacher, uh, my, I used to hear him preach when I was a teenager a lot. And he would always walk around like this, no joke. I've never seen him walk any kind of way. Head bent. And man, he, he, just, he just exuded a certain attitude. <laughs> hmm? No, because they probably would have knocked it out of him. <laughs> no. It was not a Marine. Postures. Now, if, if a person comes to you, the posture they take when they come to you is important, isn't it? If they come to you in humility, has a certain posture. Well, if I come to you and I say, hey, please do X or Y for me, and I come to you and I get down on my knees and ask you, changes the whole thing, doesn't it? Changes the whole thing. Postures are important. They send a message. The postures that we take or the postures that we see others have, they have an impact on us. And Paul says here, I'm bowing my knees because this is something important. I'm bowing my knees in prayer. Now, Paul is saying in this how much he cares for the Ephesians because Paul's an old man. He's an old man now. He's been preaching the gospel for 35 plus years. He's been beaten, knocked around, shipwrecked. He's been through the ringer. And this old man who travels with a personal physician for most of his ministry, he says, this old guy is bowing the knees, and I'm praying for you, stooping down low. I wonder who you feel is worthy of your bowing the knee for. You say, well, I can't bow the knee. I, I realize that with age and Sometimes, you know, we have difficulties. We don't want to bow the knee. It's hard to get down and pray on our knees. But, you know, sometimes the posture we take in prayer really has an effect on us as we pray. You can pray driving your car down the road. Just don't close your eyes, right? You can pray that way. You can, you can pray while standing, standing at, at, you know, at your work, doing your thing. And if you're like me, when you've been doing some kind of job, you're praying a lot. Lord, don't let me mess up. <laughs> Lord, keep me safe. Lord, help me know the answers. You can pray all kinds of ways. You can pray at the kitchen table, you know. But sometimes you get down on your knees and pray, it changes everything. Paul says, I'm bowing the knee. 
posture says something. I'm bowing down here. I'm praying for you. I'm bowing before the king on their behalf. I'm coming before the heavenly father. Paul prays for them. He goes to the one who is the head of all the Jews, all the Gentiles, all the Christians. In verse 15, he prays to the father. Now, this is worth noting. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. He comes before the heavenly father and speaks to him like a child speaking to his father. And when you're talking to your father, you don't have to be fancy. You just got to be sincere. You just have to be honest. Paul comes before their common father, the Lord. Father Hearts. There's a guy named, uh, his name was, first name was Floyd, Floyd Mc, McClung. And he wrote a book called The Father Heart of God. And he he had been a missionary in Amsterdam and in uh, Afghanistan during the 70s when the, 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 there was a lot, a lot of hippies were traveling this, this certain pathway through the east, smoking dope and that kind of thing. And he was running into, and he was a missionary there, and he was running into all kinds of people whose lives were messed up. And he said, you know, it was easy, it was easy to find fault with them, he says, because we weren't looking at them like God looks at them. God has this fatherly pity for people. He wants to help them. His heart is broken and moved. The heart of God is our father's heart. And what do fathers like to do for their children? They like to make things easy for them if they can. Sometimes they got to let them, let them have tough times. We know that. Sometimes you got to say to your kid, yes, you have to mow the yard, even though it's 137,000 degrees outside. Yes, you have to clean the toilet. <laughs> yes, you have to do this or that. Yes. No, you can't go there. No, you can't do this. No, if you don't have the money for it, then I don't either. I mean, sometimes fathers have to say these kinds of things. But overall, fathers and mothers are very open-hearted towards their children. That's the kind of God we have. He's our father. His heart is open unto us. Now, here's Paul's request, 16 to 19. Paul's request. Here's what he's praying. He's praying that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, God's superabundance, that we would be strengthened with might by the spirit in the inner man, that we would receive strength in the spirit. We need a source of strength. Never get to the place where you feel like, oh, I'm such a weakling. I shouldn't need to ask God for help. You do need to ask God for help. Psalms 113, 103, verse 4. God knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. You ever feel like you can't make it, like you can't go one step for, further, like you're, like you're not going to be able to handle it, like you're being crushed under the pressure? It's because you're dust. You're not Superman. You don't get special powers from the color of our sun. You're just, you're just, you're just a walking dust ball, frail. What is your life if even a vapor that appears for a little while vanishes quickly away? You need God's strength. And Paul's praying that they'll be strengthened in the inner man, in that inner strength. You don't have to be the Arnold Schwarzenegger physically. But you can be Arnold Schwarzenegger spiritually because the Holy Spirit will strengthen you. He will help you. Paul says that, they'll be, that you'll be strengthened with might by his spirit 
in the inner man, that God will come in a special way and give them the strength they need. And then, oh, I got this written down here to say. Now, is Paul praying this for himself or for others? Well, he's praying it for others. Do you think that it would be a legitimate application of this passage to say that that's how you and I should be praying for other people who are in our church, people we know and love in our lives, that the Lord would strengthen them in their inner man? that they would receive what they need. When we, when we take prayer requests, we're praying for one another. That's what we're doing. We're asking God to help them. This is how we should be doing and what we should be doing. Now, um, in verse 17, Paul says, <laughs> he's praying that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. <laughs> well, I thought he was already there because aren't they Christian people? What does this mean? Isn't Jesus already there? Well, Paul seems to be praying for them to have a deeper connection and understanding with and of Christ, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints and things. Paul wants them to have a deeper understanding and connection with Christ. He said, Lord Jesus, in essence, I think he's saying that Christ will... Move in, and you'll feel him in a way you didn't feel him before. You ever experience that in your Christian life where sometimes you feel really close to God, where God's like right there, like Jesus is really right there? And other times when he seems like he's kind of far off. Sometimes it's a lot of feeling. Sometimes it's a lot of faith. This is what Paul is saying, that they'll have, they'll have this confidence that they'll know Christ in a deeper and better way, that Christ will be revealed to them. This word, that Christ may dwell, is a fixed, a fixed, a fixedness. A permanence, an establishment of God's presence, of Christ's presence. This is what Paul wants them to have. He wants them to have more of Christ. More of Christ. John Gill says this is a special grace of presence that's not normal. To know the Lord in a powerful and more personal way. I wonder, I wonder my friend, since you've become a Christian, do you know him? better as the years have gone by or is it still just as mysterious to you as it used to be it should be growing in depth it should be getting deeper this word rooted means getting rooted down deep down deep where you know god more you know christ more you have a deeper appreciation for who and what they are that's what paul is praying for and then in verses 18 and 19 Paul says that they may have some comprehension. 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 You know, children cannot comprehend how much their parents love them until they got their own kids. Children cannot understand the fears and concerns their parents have until they have their own kids. I mean, my. I was a kid. I didn't understand why my dad said the things he did and did the things he did. But now I can understand now. <laughs> I, can, I got it, Dad. Makes sense now. But this comprehension. If we could only comprehend, if we could only understand the depth, the breadth, the length, the height, the vastness of the love that we have received from Jesus Christ, It'd be life-altering. And that's the thing that really causes us to 
to rejoice in worship is we have a deeper understanding of God's love, what he has done for us in loving us and saving us, how that God loved us with everlasting love. He said, I'm going to save you, I'm going to save you, I'm going to save you. He sent Jesus Christ to die for him and her and him. And when you came to faith in Christ, it wasn't you realized that Jesus had died universally for every person. It was that in a special way you realized he died for you. You. That he had affection for you. And then to quote one, to quote one guy whose name I will not mention. The whole world has been created so God could show his love for you on this stage. The whole world created. If God loved you before the world was ever made, the world was made so God could show his love to you. You know what I'm saying? The bit, the, the, the size of the love of God, it's the bigness of it, the scope. It's, it's mind-blowing. The love of Christ is unfathomable. If we could get an idea of the hugeness of it. I don't know how many of us here have been to the, see the Grand Canyon, but I've seen pictures, right? You got pictures? But there is nothing like standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon and going, whoa. That is one big hole. I mean, until you see it, you have an idea. But once you once you stand there and you're like, "How big is this thing, really?" We we decided we're going to walk down in there a little ways. And man, we walked down there a little ways. And you, once you walk down, what do you do when you start walking down to something like that? Stop and look up. <laughs> That's a long ways. Get not get a feel for it. If we could, if we could get a, a comprehension, so Paul says, if they could only comprehend, if you guys could, Lord, and God, if you can show them, you can know this love, it passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God, that there will be this outpouring in these people's lives that would help them. He says, Lord, I wish you would do it. And then lastly, verses 20 to 21. Paul breaks out into doxology of praise. Because who's he praying to? Now unto him who is, look at that carefully, friends. Now unto him who is what? Able. He is able to do what Paul has asked. But look what Paul says. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think. God can do more than you can even think of or dream of. That's who our God is. That's who Paul is crying out to in this request for these Ephesian believers. And it's this power that he has that's working in us. And Paul says in verse 21, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. In the church, in the Christian community, this is where we should be glorifying God. Because if God does this, it will cause us to worship and glorify Him. And it will help us to get through our trials and difficulties.
And they say, how can we glorify God? We're, we're sinners. How can we do it? We fail. We fail all the time to do the right things. We sin. How do we glorify him? We do it by Christ. It is Christ doing it through us and in us. You see, we are the ones who Jesus saved with his blood. We're the ones he died for. We are treasures. We're valuable to God. You may not, be, you may not feel valuable to your husband or wife or sons or daughters or to your coworkers or to your nation. But Jesus died for you, so you're very valuable to him. You are his treasure. Peter, in, in 1 Peter, says we are a peculiar treasure. Peculiar treasure. We saved believing people. We're the treasures of his grace, which means that we can really praise him and sing our praises to him. Unto him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. May God bless it to our hearts. Okay, Valerie, will you switch that thing off? Let's pray together, and uh, I'll mention these requests just once again, then I'll pray down through this list. Remember Kenneth Rowan. He's had COVID and he's had a long recovery. He, the Eller family up in Missouri, he's, Mr. Eller has uh, stage four cancer. Pray for Andre.